0: All right. Well, uh thank you everybody for uh taking the time to, to join us today. I really enjoy talking about these types of subjects mainly because they can be a lot of fun. And and you know, I'm predominantly an administrative law or regulatory attorney who spends hours and hours researching very complicated regulations and reimbursement coverage positions and, and things that most people you know, wouldn't even read to try to fall asleep. But this topic today, uh, the the biggest healthcare scams of 2019 and and how to avoid them this year in 2020 it is, is fun for me in, in kind of a sick, sarcastic way. But actually, it's really informative. So one of the ways that uh, my team and I really educate ourselves is to study what went wrong so that we can help providers not get caught in those situations, uh, many of them innocently, um, and, and then we look for you know how do we educate providers moving forward so that they don't run into these disastrous type scenarios. So we're going to take it a time and we're going to pick apart uh five examples of pretty significant uh you know dollar wise or Reimbursement wise, or we're going to look at some of the significant uh, legal issues that evolved in 2019. And we're going to pull apart the headlines that you hear about, understand some of the real detailed mechanics, and then we're going to walk away with some lessons on what we can learn from them to protect ourselves moving forward, uh, help our practices and our facilities operate better and we're gonna take that a step at a time. So thank you for joining me, and off we go. So our goals for today. um, We are going to learn about some of the biggest healthcare fraud scams that happened in 2019. Uh, We're gonna dig into some of the details and figure out uh, how providers innocently got trapped in this. Now, determining who was innocent and who is not is not my job, right? I'm a regulatory attorney. I focus on data. Um, th- those are white-collar attorneys um, or judges, And but what I do know is that I have defended lots and lots of providers over the years who've gotten caught in things that looked intentional uh, when really they were just making mistakes. Now, some of those are times, those are very expensive mistakes, and you can fix them and come back from them. Sometimes you can't. Uh, but my goal today is to help educate you enough that you don't get caught in them. So, second, that brings us to our second major goal for today. We're going to identify uh, a fraud scam when it's coming at you. You know, how do you sift through? all of the different information and vendors and opportunities and opinions and uh you know guidance or lack of guidance and and what are some ways to validate uh validate what you've been presented with before you run down a path third major goal for today uh we're going to learn from other people's mistakes right we're we're going to pick apart some pretty crazy facts and 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 entertaining stories and the, I mean, a lot of these are like soap operas of healthcare, and we're going to learn how do you improve your revenue cycle without risk, right? How do we stay away from target issues um, through education and compliance? All right. So just to, uh, just to start out with something entertaining and fun, uh, I pulled this article uh, from last year. William Gallagher, who was a career criminal robbed a bank in Wisconsin for the sole purpose of getting health treatment in their prison system. True fact. You can hit the hyperlink at the bottom and read the rest of the article. Um, But Mr. Gallagher, uh, he was serving a 20-year sentence in New Jersey. He'd heard that the Wisconsin prisons had the most superior health care of all the prison systems. And that it was better than the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. So when he got released, he drove to Wisconsin and he went into a bank, demanded cash, and then he told the teller to call the police. He sat down and waited for the police to show up. True story. In the court uh, records, it says that he requested a 10-year sentence but the judge ordered a pre-sentence investigations. So it's where they do psychological evaluations and, and other types of things, but we know we've got a pretty sad state when somebody's willing to rob a bank to get good health care. All right, uh, global numbers. We start with a big, broad perspective uh, from 2019. Some of these numbers are in yet. We don't have... Um, Global on just civil or other type of audit recovery yet. We're real, you know, only a couple weeks into January. But the Department of Justice put out some numbers on False Claims Act cases. And these are the key TAM or whistleblower cases, uh, remains the number one weapon for fighting healthcare fraud. And uh, so here's some statistics that the D- Department of Justice put out on 2019. Uh, we were over three billion dollars in fiscal year 2019. 2.6 of the three billion was on healthcare. So, health, I mean, the False Claims Act includes other contracts where you present a, a false document to the government to get paid, and it can be outside of healthcare. But healthcare is the lion's share of the fraud that we have on for recovery under the False Claims Act. 2.1 billion of that 2.6 were from KETAM or whistleblower cases. That's where you know you have someone with inside knowledge who, who who blows the whistle on a fraud scheme and reports it to the government, and they act as what is called the relator. And and that position as a relator is that they are standing in the shoes of a citizen of the United States, and they are the The plaintiff, they are the main party that is interested, but the government then can choose to intervene and take the case and move it forward. Or the government can decline to intervene and the relator and their counsel can move forward and prosecute the case independently. Now, the False Claims Act is still a relatively modern legal tool. Um, but it has really exploded in use. The False Claims Act was revised in 1986 um, that gave it a lot more strength and it made it a much more uh, quote-unquote popular case on how to deal with civil fraud uh, in the healthcare arena in particular. And since 1986, there's been 62 billion recovered on false claims cases. Now that doesn't account appreciation or or inflation. Those are just adding up all the annual numbers. So as you can see, this is a really important legal vehicle uh, to resolving health care fraud. All right, moving on. Here's our fraud scam one from 2019 and uh Pieces of this operation were coming loose and in, in becoming public in, in 2018, but the full scope of it was not uh, released uh, until 2019. So Operation Brace Yourself was the uh, name that the Joint Healthcare uh, Fraud Task Force, uh, sometimes called HEAT, uh, that includes uh, HHS, OIG, FBI, CMS, state attorney generals, uh, local task forces, including state police, they all work together on these types of investigations. So Operation Brace Yourself was for durable medical equipment, thus the name Brace Yourself. And the way it worked is there was an international telemarketing company who lured hundreds of thousands of elderly and disabled patients into this criminal scheme just through phone calls. And the DME companies, all right, the ones who produced the the braces, the products, were paying kickbacks to doctors, some doctors, and telemedicine companies for referrals for medically unnecessary braces. Do you guys remember the TV ads about, you know, Medicare will pay for your knee brace or your back brace and it will be free no cost to you Yes, I've you know, I'm sure many of you might have seen uh, a late-night commercial or a daytime running commercial Yes, that was probably part of this group. So <laughs> Sometimes you've got to pay attention to what it is you're seeing on the television because there may be a whole lot more to it Now the telemarketer basically would get a Medicare patient on the phone, they just keep calling. And then if the patient says, you know, a few key words in that first conversation, yes, I'm on disability or I'm on Medicare, they would say, does your knee hurt? Does your back hurt? They would ask a couple key questions. And if they thought they had somebody on the phone, who would be a potential candidate for a specific type of brace, uh they would pull a doctor on. Sometimes a real doctor, sometimes someone pretending to be a doctor, who would ask a couple more questions. And, and the evidence shows that sometimes these physicians' conversations were, you know, less than three minutes, five minutes. And they would just tell the person on the phone, well, your brace is in the mail. You know, they would take their Uh, enough information so that they could bill a claim and they would run off with that paperwork. And now many of these patients um, received one brace or additional braces or a whole set of braces that they didn't even ask for. A lot of patients didn't even receive the braces. They just ended up in different directions. And the staggering thing about this fraud scheme is that it it reached a billion dollars Um, And that was the estimate by the Department of Justice at the time of this press release and involved 130 DME companies and individuals in six states that were charged. So charged, we're going to put that in quotes, right? I'm not sure if that means that all 130 companies and all those people in the different jurisdictions were really in on it. Uh criminally charged or civilly charged for recovery for participating in this, but the bottom line is there's a lot of companies that got trapped inside this scheme all right and and some of them did it innocently, some of them you know intentionally did it wrong, and we're going to pick apart this scenario a little later so we can understand it better and figure out how do you avoid these. All right. Number two. Uh fraud scheme number two is Operation Double Helix. And Double Helix deals with uh genetic testing for cancer. Uh this is this one sets the record for an organized fraud scheme. It's two point one billion. That's the largest single uh DOJ takedown in their history. Um they charge 35 individuals for 2.1 billion in losses to Medicare in a single day. And I was actually at a conference where they teased us and said watch the news on Monday when this release came out and the joint task force all all at one time all in one day all over the country arrested all these people in a single day. And it was uh, it was pretty amazing to see the coordination of it. Now, how did this work? Uh, Telemedicine companies and cancer genetic testing laboratories in five states were charged, including 10 providers. Um, Now, the way they put this together is that marketers or physicians told patients that Medicare would pay for a free genetic screening if the patients had any family history of cancer. Um, But some services are covered as a screening, but they're very rare. Cause you know, I mean, Medicare doesn't give away, give away ex- services unless there's a medical reason. Um, but it's determined by the government and in these investigations that a lot of these tests were not medically necessary. And many of these patients that were caught in this never received the results or the results were kind of worthless when they made it back to the doctor. And we will tear this apart and, and and look at some of the nuances on how a lot of innocent people and innocent providers got trapped in this. All right, fraud scam number three, opioid spray. Now this, this one's a little more like the soap operas. Um, so this was the first case to hold an opioid maker and executives criminally liable. All the rest so far have been civilly liable, and so we've heard about the terrible opioid crisis that's been going on in our country for a number of years, and all the major pharmaceutical companies that have been, you know, sued and are being investigated. They're being sued by states and counties and municipalities. You know, I I, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, which is one of the epicenters of this mess right now. Um, But this case is really unique because they went straight to criminal liability for the producers and the executives in the company, all right, who were pushing this specific opioid. So let's tear that apart. Let's dig in a little bit. So Insys Therapeutics paid bribes and perks to doctors to overprescribe subsys. All right, that's a fentanyl-based oral spray. So if you know anything about your, your opioids, fentanyl is really bad, very addictive. Um, and the spray uh, was meant for intense pain suffered by cancer patients. Now this is a very rare medication. Why is it rare? And And, and we know normally when we have a rare, unique medication, that translate to very expensive. So yes, subsist cost payers up to $19,000 per month for this prescription, big ticket item, right? Uh, the company reached a $225 million settlement with the Department of Justice for both criminal and civil probes. Yes, for, for any of you who didn't realize that a company, an entity can be criminally charged, they can. Now, company executives and marketers also were individually uh, prosecuted and and for criminal as well as civil. They had been paying the doctors to prescribe subsists through lots of different means, including lavish entertainment, your stereotypical exotic dancers included, travel, meals, and funds at times. So a lot of the people involved in this never really took cash. And we're gonna talk about what that really means for providers and break that down a little bit further uh, as we move through our presentation today. All right, fraud scam four, the nursing home playboy. Yes, Philip Esformas. And and yes, he is a good looking guy, dark skin, dark hair. Uh, so where is he from? Miami Beach, of course. All right, so uh Philip Esformis uh was a healthcare mogul, was sentenced to twenty years uh for Medicare fraud scheme and he also had to repay forty four million dollars in restitution. Now, a couple key pieces to this one, and we will break we will break it all out a little later, is that this guy looked like he had it all together. He had all kinds of, you know, flashy wealth and, and was a big name in, in the industry and a big name in Miami. All of that was kind of a facade. So here's how it worked. Um, they The DOJ estimates that his fraud caused $1 billion in loss. However, when the prosecution was trying to present the case, they had math problems. Literally, they couldn't figure out mathematically how to quantify the loss um, to, to Medicare, and, and so that's how we ended up with 44 million in restitution. What did he do? Esformes bribed providers to "quote-unquote" recycle patients through his chain of assisted living and skilled nursing facilities, where services of little to no clinical value were provided. And basically, this was—he was shuffling patients. Right, He had a relationship with some hospitals, and, and so you'd have one one patient who would be uh, in, in a skilled nursing facility and have a hospital trip, and then the relationship that he paid for would refer back to another skilled facility, that which he owned, and then eventually refer to an assisted living, so that he had his hands in the whole cycle, um, many times for services that weren't useful. Um, or, or no value to the patient. Now, what's unique about this case is the psychology, right? We, why do people do these things? Because this Formas was born into a very wealthy family that owned healthcare operations in Chicago. Uh, he lived one of the most extravagant lifestyles of known fraudsters, including a collection of exotic cars worth, I believe, you know, $30 million dollars, numerous mansions with estates, and he had a multi-million dollar watch collection. Now, I know a lot of really good, hard-working, successful people in the healthcare industry. I don't see many making that kind of money. So if you see somebody driving you know, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari and they run a nursing home, you might want to question what's going on there. All right, fraud scheme number five. Before we turn to uh, picking these apart and understanding them a little better. This has to do with marketing agreements and a unique law called the Travel Act. So Forest Park Medical Center, FPMC, was a physician-owned hospital. That's right, the doctors owned the hospital. Uh, specifically created to maximize reimbursement by staying out of network, They were OON, and maximizing patient volume by paying kickbacks through the marketing and education agreements. Now, I'm not saying that the organizers of this operation were the innocent parties, but there were innocent parties caught into it, and we'll talk about that. So FPMC stayed out of network to set its own prices and misrepresented to covered patients, covered patients, patients on a plan. Uh, that the carriers would cover services at their hospital and they would not have to collect any balances, no copays. Yes, if you've been in healthcare for a while, you, that should be a red flag. All right, you cannot waive copays. So, why did uh, Forest Park do this? Well, um, they paid a percentage of revenue generated to the referring providers, kickback relationship. That's right, anti-kickback statute uh, for sham marketing and management agreements for educational services. So basically, somebody pitched the doctors the idea that they could get, quote unquote, legal kickbacks if they would give talks, write articles. Well, the problem was, is the money, when you line it all up, was not traced to the value of educational services but directly to the percentage of the referral of services referred. That won't work. You know, a, a kickback is a kickback by any color or name. So uh, watch out providers on what type of, you know, activities you are involved in for relationships for extra revenue. All right, now let's talk about the TRAVEL Act. The TRAVEL Act is really unique. It is not seen in healthcare, hardly ever. Uh, But the government used the Travel Act to, quote, federalize state law crimes because Forest Park uh, had specifically avoided federal payers to circumvent federal restrictions. They were only out-of-network billing private payers because they wanted to stay away from the federal restrictions with Medicare and Medicaid, and and we'll we'll break down why they did that. All right, and how that should be a flag to anybody in the healthcare industry. Okay. So, we're going to identify the fraud, the components of the fraud in each of these scenarios and who was hurt. Scam 1, operation brace yourself, all right? Why did the scam work? You know, this is this is always a good question. How how did this even happen? Well, the fraudsters figured out that CMS's adjudication system did not have a system edit. Basically, when the claims data goes through, there was no edit in the system to catch repetitious or unnecessary DME when specific ICDs, diagnosis codes, were used. So if you had this certain series of diagnoses, uh, and you build the DME, sometimes from different jurisdictions, that's why so many different companies were involved, it would run through the system and pay for the braces, and and the fraudsters basically reverse engineered by using the codes, how they could make this run through the system. They also did it through abusing new telemedicine policies that need revision frankly, but they are, you know, in my opinion, they're wonderful and they are growing and they are helping a lot of people. Uh, But like any new area of growth in healthcare, it takes a while to understand how to properly regulate it. Who are the innocent victims in this scheme? Obviously the taxpayers, right? This is you and me, we all put into the coffer to, to actually pay for this system. So the, the loss on the fraud is all of ours. Patients. Well the patients had no out of pocket, uh, but a lot of them had residual impact. What do I mean by residual impact? A lot of patients received services they didn't need, um, or, or you know, braces they didn't need, but it wasted time. Uh some of them even it 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 ended up harming their enrollment or their coverage. Um so it may not have been physical for this you know operation brace yourself as much as it might have been annoyance and time now providers there were many unknowing DME companies and and providers caught in this one um, that they, they you know this was uh, of those 130 companies many of them were just a minor percentage and thought they were filling or should have known they were they were filling inappropriate claims, right? But they didn't. They did not have tight enough compliance to, to uh, make sure that they weren't, you know, fulfilling an order for something that was improper. What did that happen? What happened to them? Well, overpayments, right? They'd pay a lot of money back. There was a lot of fines. So that's on top of repaying penalties, you know, civil monetary penalties (CMPs). Some of them received uh, CMS suspensions or terminations, and it was the end of companies, so the end of jobs. So there were some really hard consequences as a result of this fraud scheme. Not just tax dollar loss, but a lot of people's careers ended. Some people went to jail. Uh, A lot of people that just got caught and it lost jobs. So the result is a lot of pain for a lot of people. Red flags, right? What are the red flags that should have gone up with Operation Brace Yourself? Free, (laughs) I hope everybody smiles on that one, right? There's, nothing's free in healthcare. Um, So patients and consumers need more education. The bottom line is CMS doesn't give anything away for free. Now, it may be covered, all right? Um, But that doesn't mean it's medically necessary. So patients need to understand that Medicare provides services and care and braces when it's needed, right? They don't just give you things that you don't need. And and hopefully uh, we can all as a community and as a country work on educating patients. TeleDocs, right? Now, for, for better or for worse, telemedicine is here. All right, Um, I'm a believer in uh, in the benefits of telemedicine and and have seen them and work on all the positives, Um, but patients and consumers need to understand the rules of telemedicine, and we'll we'll sink into some of those details a little later. All right, Uh, scam number two, all right, let's identify the fraud, who was hurt? Why did Operation Double Helix work? All right, again, we have some really smart fraudsters. I can't figure out why these people don't do it the right way. They would all be very well off, maybe not as filthy rich, but they'd be well off. So the fraudsters figured out that CMS adjudication system did not have a system edit to catch the differences between services that did and did not require diagnosis of cancer along with family history of cancer. Uh, again, these are policies in different jurisdictions with different Medicare Administrative Contractors, MACs, that sometimes conflict. And honestly, in this case, a lot of them were very gray and unclear. Some of them did not provide what I would consider, from my capacity, adequate guidance um, for providers to determine what was appropriate and what was not. And so, what does that mean? A lot of providers who didn't understand how to interpret the rules that were out there got caught in this and and ended up with a lot of difficulties so again taxpayers were hurt patients no out of pocket but the residuals but a lot of providers ended up with overpayments fines penalties suspensions or terminations and you know what you hope is that you know the right result comes out of Each of those circumstances for individual providers because a lot of those providers are doing a lot of good for a lot of people and you hope they continue on all right red flags what were some of the red flags from double helix first of all the volume all right Um, double helix happened from start to finish in about 16 months maybe 24 somewhere in there Basically there was uh this scheme got rolling really quickly because of telemedicine and because of how fast the the process works and a huge huge volume of services went out the door as adjudicated claims and payment in a short amount of time. But the problem is these service these services have existed for a long time and the coverage positions had existed for a while. Now, some of them had evolved and changed a little bit, but the terms of what Medicare would cover and would not cover um, were still out there. Now, did they conflict and have gray? Yes. All right, but um, anytime you're a provider, if you are working in a service arena and Medicare seems to magically be paying you tons of money for something, you should question that. CMS just does not give providers special paydays for no reason. All right, screenings, all right. Patients and consumers need to understand that CMS rarely pays for screening of potential health conditions, right? They pay for treatment of necessary, right, necessary treatment for medical conditions that are diagnosed. Um, I mean, there are always those pockets where there's certain issues, um, you know, that are covered as far as screenings for good preventative medicine, um, but patients need to educate themselves better. All right, number three, back to opioid spray s- scheme. Um, let's identify the fraud and who was hurt, all right? The fraudsters convinced, basically, this is a little more old-fashioned, right? They. Everybody knew that this was very expensive, uh, a very expensive drug. So this is some old-fashioned elbow grease, all right? So how do you get it through the system? Because this is so expensive, it was pretty well guarded by CMS's claims process. Well, they tried to educate and mislead providers on the slight diagnosis difference to get CMS to pay for a medication that was twenty times more expensive than one that would have worked. Alright? And the old fashioned greed, right? Greed and grease, the wine and dine to excess. And some direct kickbacks. So um this is more of a warning to all the young doctors out there and and you know healthcare owners or executives you gotta be careful because the bottom line is there's a lot of rules regarding perks and kickbacks in the healthcare arena. And you, if somebody is just, you know, rolling out the money on on, on entertaining you, be suspicious, right? Be suspicious. Now, uh, who really got hurt? Taxpayers, patients got hurt really terribly in this one. Um, This spray was way more addictive than the alternative medication and a lot of patients ended up with severe enough addiction issues that it led to their death. So very dreadful consequences, all for a little extra money. Now providers, the innocent providers were providers in the same practices as many others who participated in the excessive wine and dine or took kickbacks. There were lots of doctors and practitioners who they were a minority partner or an employed physician, a part of a practice, and they didn't know anything of what was going on and their Medicare enrollment uh, got messed up or they ended up you know, being, had to pay back money or had sanctions. Um, lost a job, a lot of very negative consequences on partnerships. Red flags, all right? Cost. Providers, if something is really expensive, it's because it should be rare, all right? Big dollars only happen for good reason with CMS, so be aware of the cost. And always, providers, be careful with the, of the anybody who's fast and loose with the perks, right? A, a medical salesperson who overspends on entertainment—that that should be a glaring red flag. Make sure you're aware of that. All right, let's go to number four: Nursing Home Playboy. Right? Um, why did this work? Well, mainly because. Our fraudster here had so many NPIs to work with. He had lots of individual facilities and he would shuffle the board, right? Part of the recycling scheme. He would shuffle the patients so that the money looked like it was going to lots of different places. And he paid off key people at hospitals to steer providers to just his facilities. The victims, taxpayers, Patients, um, patients basically because of poor clinical care and outcomes, all right, and and a lot of lost time, unnecessary services. Uh, providers, there were numerous innocent providers that lost their jobs and fought off CMS sanction just due to association with these practices. Like they had just been uh, working there as an employee and they had to defend themselves and prove that they were not a part of this red flags, right? Recycling Providers Don't ignore unsound clinical decisions when you see patients coming back through and it doesn't make clinical sense Say something do something all right last round on identification and who was hurt our marketing agreements and the travel act All right, why did it work? Well, it worked for a while because these doctors planned it to avoid the federal payers, which they thought would avoid the federal regulators. And then somebody had a sweetheart deal that was too good in these marketing and education agreements so that you could get paid legally, quote unquote, for that kickback. All right, don't buy it, providers, don't buy it. All right. Innocent victims, private payers, right? Me, my family, we're part of a, you know, a group plan. My premiums all go up. Your premiums go up because of these private payers were victims and the plan beneficiaries. Red flags, all right? Out of network, all right, is not a problem for plan beneficiaries, but you have to understand how out of network works all right you You are a part of a plan, and you have providers in network because as a beneficiary you want you you want to be a part of that because your your carrier has found someone with a good relationship all right The most important thing for beneficiaries for patients to understand is that a waiver of copays and deductibles especially for out-of-network, should never happen, all right? Should not happen. All right, so let's learn from uh, everybody else's mistakes here so we don't end up getting in the same kind of trouble. Operation Brace Yourself, all right? Stopping patient victimization. The best advice for providers to give to their patients uh, to prevent telemedicine fraud is that you should be talking to your primary care physician. You should be talking to your normal physician. you use telemedicine with the doctors you know, not some guy who calls you randomly. Telemedicine was designed to increase access to existing provider relationships. How do we stop provider victimization? Uh, many providers that prescribed legitimate DME for patients had payments recouped uh, or other payer problems because their patient received duplicative DME all right in other words you 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 gave one knee brace legitimately, the fraudsters gave another one within two years and there's a five-year limitation, you have got to defend your own claim and you lose the money from a legitimate provider. Now providers of DME must understand all of the LCDs and NCDs, the coverage positions, their limitations, and check patient eligibility. Double helix, how do we stop patient victimization? All right, patients must be educated that CMS provides medically necessary services. They don't pay for screenings except in rare circumstances, uh, and it should be for the purpose of helping your primary care provider or your recommended specialist. Telemedicine is designed for increased access with existing providers. I will repeat that existing providers. All right? Stopping provider victimization. Many reference laboratories unknowingly ran improper tests and billed for them because they did not understand the coverage positions. They relied on secondhand sources for interpretations. Reference labs must be careful gatekeepers because they will often be held responsible for referring providers' failures. All right, Uh, opioid spray scheme. Looking at this one, how do we learn? Patients, patients need broad, in-depth education regarding the risks of opioids. We all know we all need more of this to prevent some of the absolute tragic outcomes of opioid addiction. Providers, pretty simple, don't give in to temptation. No excessive whining and dining, and you can't get paid $20,000 for five hours of marketing time it doesn't work that way and you know better. Partnerships. Providers, you've got to know what your partner is up to because it could come back to haunt you. So if your partner is all of a sudden showing up in a Porsche, you got to figure out why. All right. Um, So be aware what your partners are doing. Owners and administrators. All right. Police your services and reimbursement. Uh, If all of a sudden you've got an unusually high amount of reimbursement, it's not magic. You got to understand why. All right, you you need to know why you're getting that money because most likely somebody might come back looking for it. The nursing home playboy. So for stopping patient victimization, uh we have got to give caregivers, most importantly caregivers, uh knowledge that They have got to be aware and active in understanding the treatment of their loved ones to try and prevent these types of scenarios. Providers, all right, you've got to put the care of your patient above your employer's policies. Many of these providers just ignored sound clinical uh, guidance um, and didn't stand up for their patients. Providers and administrators, don't let the green-eyed monster get you. All right, if financial gain is your primary goal, you shouldn't be in healthcare. period. Go be a business person. Overseers, a number of state overseers were paid off to make this scheme work. I mean, agency people. All right, don't assume that state approval equals compliance. You've got to be aware that anybody's susceptible to this. All right, last uh number five the marketing agreements in the travel act how do we help protect patients we've got to educate them on what out of network means and why this should be a rare exception where you have you need a unique specialist or or you're in an area where your carrier doesn't provide coverage out of network is rare providers uh, avoiding federal and state payers does not mean you avoid the regulation don't do it. If anybody says you I have an opportunity and we don't take any federal payers, run. There's a reason they're trying to avoid the federal payers. All right, so um, obviously providers don't fall for any type of complicated kickback scheme. All right, you you should be going to your CLEs and, and know better. So in summary, All right, as healthcare fraud is growing, oversight and prosecution are growing in sophistication and imposition. All right, the bigger the schemes, the bigger the dog that's coming for you. Patients are are being victimized by the advances in technology that were designed to help provide them care. Doesn't mean technology's bad, but it is being used improperly at times too. Innocent providers have more ways to innocently and I mean this more ways to innocently get into trouble than ever. So that's why education is number one for providers. You have got to raise your level and work at your compliance more than you ever have. Most significant risks in healthcare can be avoided by common sense and regular education. I got to repeat that one more time. Most significant risks in healthcare can be avoided by common sense and regular education. So that wraps up uh, my presentation for today.